Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Oh, Cubs, that guy's a hustler. Come on, Carla, judging me with a light pal. Hey, hey, it's how they operate, trust me. We're only playing for fun. How much fun have you lost? About eight grand. <laughs> eight grand? <laughs> but guess, wait a minute, wait, that's spread over since last February. Look, damn it, don't you see what he's doing? I mean, Carla's right, he's taking you for everything you got. I, I can't believe it. Sam, you are at least six or seven years older than I am. Now admit it. Can you just wait a second, please? We just discovered that George has been hustling coach for a lot of money here. George? That sweet white-haired gentleman? Yeah. Pitbull. No, Diane. It's true. Gee, Sam, isn't there anything we can do about it? Anything? I got it. We beat him up. Strip him, take his money, and put him on a bus. <laughs> Southern Carter. Hey, that's how I got to Boston. <laughs> Welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am happy to welcome a brand new guest to this podcast, but you may have heard him on this network before. He has appeared on several episodes of MASHcast and the Film and Water podcast with Rob Kelly. Here with me to talk about Season 1, Episode 19, please welcome Kevin Lauderdale. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Ever since you announced you were going to do Cheerscast, I was like, you know what? That can be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I am really glad because you reached out and uh, you mentioned that this episode specifically you wanted to talk about. So, uh, you, as I understand it, you you can explain that in conjunction with your Cheers origin story. So, because it's your first time, you have to tell us how and when did you get into Cheers and why did you want to be on this particular episode? Okay, folks, sit back. Uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, the story I'm about to tell you is timey-wimey. If uh, you're a fan of The Good Place, it's Jeremy Barry. But trust <laughs> me, it, it all comes full circle. So, Cheers premiered September of 1982, which also just happened to be my freshman year in high school. So it's your freshman year. You're interested in new things. You want to sort of reinvent yourself. And from the very first, I got to tell you, Sam Malone is the only character on television who ever influenced the way I dress. You guys have talked about it before, but you didn't actually name it. Those shirts he's wearing in almost every episode, except this one, are rugby shirts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the rubber buttons, real, you know, if you get caught in a scrum, you don't want hard wood or plastic pushing against you. Well, in 1982, Los Angeles, what you guys on the East Coast call Thursday, but we call the preppy look, hit big. So you can bet I had rugby shirts. I got them from L.O. Bean, the whole shebang. Okay. So yay, Sam Malone, influencing the way I dress. 
So I watched Cheers and I watched everything else that was on into the Thursday night lineup. And I watched the summer reruns. And I watched, I think, all the way through probably the end of the first Rebecca year. So is that like five or six years? Rebecca came on the sixth year. So I grew up watching Cheers. It was one of the shows I watched. That's all through high school and some of college. But here's the interesting thing. That was it for me. It wasn't like um, MASH, where if I was clicking through the reruns or something like that, and I saw an episode of Cheers, I'd stop and watch. I figured, okay, I watched them. Great. I enjoyed them. Moving along. Let's jump forward about 15 years to the late 1990s. Pocket Books is publishing Star Trek novels. Okay. Okay, trust me. Stay stay with me. Stay with me. (laughs) <laughs> you, okay. you have promised me that this is going somewhere. So. This is going someplace. And the editors realized all of the um, – like the same novels – like they had like three writers basically over and over writing all the novels. They said we need to develop sort of a B team, a farm team of writers, start them off with short stories who can then – we can bring up and they can write the novels. So Pocket Books created a series of anthologies called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And what you could do is you could submit stories set in – Next Gen, Original Series, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, eventually Enterprise. And if you were a non-professional writer, meaning if you didn't have a novel sold or uh, three short stories. So me and 10,000 other people started sending in stories and stories and stories and stories. Now, eventually, I did sell them three stories. And all the stories I wrote, with the exception of one, were space dramas. But one was a comedy. Now, unfortunately... Even though I'm going to talk about it, it wasn't published. I mm. wish I could send you to Amazon.com and say, go buy a copy of Star Trek Strange New Worlds 8 and read this story. <laughs> but I have to tell you about the one comedy story I wrote for Strange New Worlds. So I'm sitting there thinking, what should I write about? What should I write about? And I read an interview with the producers of Deep Space Nine. Now, just in case anybody doesn't know, Deep Space Nine was the series set on the space station. One of the ki- And there's a bartender in a bar, Quark's Bar. Quark the Ferengi. And there's a character named Morn, a big man mountain of an alien creature who doesn't really talk much. Mm-hmm. The producers in this interview said, oh yeah, Morn, that's obviously an acronym for Norm. We're all big Cheers fans here at Deep Space Nine. And I sat back and I said, huh, that's funny. Kelsey Grammer, who played Fraser Crane, mm-hmm. a character you have not met yet if you're listening to this podcast in order, also played in one episode of The Next Generation, Captain Morgan Bateson, an unwitting time traveler who gets a uh, caught in a temporal anomaly. And I said, well, wait a minute. There is also Kirstie Alley, who plays Rebecca, another character we have not yet met. And she was Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So I said to myself, you know, there's a lot of Cheers Star Trek connections. Maybe I could, like, plot somehow. And I said to myself, well, what do I remember from Cheers? Remember, it's been like 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and I said, okay, I remember two very specific things. And as it happens, they're both from the first season. I remember an episode where Cheers possibly going to turn into a gay bar. And Sam and everybody else has a different reaction set. It's the one you just did, the boys in the bar, mm-hmm. a few weeks back. And I remember Harry Anderson. Sure, I used to watch Night Court all that. And I remember him as a trickster and a con man. And I said to myself, okay, what if an alien started hanging out at Quark's bar? Quark would not have the, uh, the most noble preposition he's ever dangled. He'd have no compunction at all about wanting to get rid of this, this alien. How how could he do it? How could he do it? Okay, let's jump back in time. The 10-year-old Kevin walking through his local library and seeing a book called something like 101 Bar Bets You Can't Lose. 
And I'm like, this is interesting. What is this? I, I, I don't know if I'd heard of bar bets or bar tricks before, but I got this book out. And it was, thing, it was you know, things like you could hustle your friends at bars for drinks and, you know, and a, f- a few small bucks. Like, uh, like Ryan, if I say to you, uh, which is further, which state is further west, Alaska or Hawaii? Oh, then you have to look at, I think the westernmost part of Alaska is further west than the westernmost part of Hawaii. Yes. Very good. You, you wouldn't think that because it seems like Hawaii is uh, an island out in the middle of the sea and, and Alaska is landlocked to the to the coast, but the westernmost yeah, parts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the Aleutian Islands actually crosses over the 180th uh, longitude, which actually makes it also the easternmost. <laughs> Technically. State. And, and there's tricks like uh, – if I put this olive on the uh, bar here and I put a brandy snifter over it and I put a little tea saucer a foot away, can you move that olive onto the tea sa- onto this tea saucer if the only thing you can touch is the upside-down brandy snifter and the brandy snifter must remain upside-down at all times? Well, I'll, what you do is you move that brandy snifter real fast, real fast. It builds up centrical, centrifugal force and that olive rolls up on the inside and you just slide it over mm-hmm. and you're set. So first of all, imagine a 10-year-old Kevin sitting at his uh, parents' apartment uh, the kitchen table. Mom, where do we keep the brandy snifters? <laughs> so I remember these business with tricks. And I remember Harry doing tricks. And I go, okay, what if the way Quark wants to get rid of this alien is he challenges him to a series of increasingly difficult bar bets? <laughs> but in the end, almost, 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 but in the end, he wins. So I wrote a story where basically Quark – is you know the Ferengi version of Sam Nog was uh, uh, Coach or Woody. Mm-hmm. There was uh, more, more and more. Had a friend who worked in subspace communications called Flick. <laughs> yeah. Captain Morgan Bateson was there, and I called the story where everybody knows your designation because <laughs> it was a Borg. It was a separated Borg. We just recently found out about the Seven of Nine and all that. So, so after like a fifteen-year gap, I still remembered very specifically elements from these two episodes. I wrote the story. And then when you announced you were going to do this, I said to myself, you know, I haven't watched Cheers in a long time. Let me, let me go back. And I didn't go back and start at the very beginning because it's on Netflix now. Yay. I went back. I typed in. I Googled. I didn't remember what season these episodes were in. But I typed them in. Like, you know, Potential Gay Bar, Harry Anderson Tricks. And I watched those two episodes. And I was so relieved to find, boy, it sure holds up. Mm-hmm. Those two episodes are fantastic. And this one in particular, because I loved the character of Harry. I remember him from Night Court. Isn't it strange that a guy who started off as a con man character <laughs> hired to play a judge? But his uh, Damon Runyon-esque demeanor, his dressing, the snappiness and the dialogue, and the added strangeness like my favorite episode of the first season of mash is an episode called tuttle which isn't about the war or medicine this episode isn't about our primary characters this is about two guest characters essentially harry and eddie the mole and was it rob kelly who said he thought cheers was essentially could, could like a setting for short stories where other characters come in and have their adventures. Yeah, I mean certainly in the in the first season definitely you see a lot of areas of that and like one of my one of my favorite episodes similar to this one where it's really driven by the guest stars um is the episode um one for the book which I covered with Zaki Hassan which you have a young man about to enter the monastery to become a monk and another old man who's a veteran of World War 1 and they both come into the bar on the same night and they both have these different stories but i mean it's very much their narratives their character arcs kind of like we see play out um so yeah this was definitely in the first season 
aside from the like meta arc of Sam and Diane flirting and will they get together or not, you had a lot of opportunities for just these little done-in-one little vignettes with guest stars really driving the plot. As the show got on, I mean, certainly by like season three and everything, you know, you've got to give Norm a plot every episode and Woody a plot every episode and Frasier a plot every episode. They just didn't have time for that. But certainly in the beginning, yeah, this was something. And yeah, I think Rob was one of the ones who, who pointed that out in the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, the way it's structured, it's almost like there's a, a the, the book ends. It's like mm-hmm. Sam and Diane, the main plot, and oh yeah, Sam and Diane. This is probably one of the only episodes that doesn't end with at least somebody and somebody else going into the back room and hashing it all out. Mm-hmm. Although, as we'll see, there, there was more back room shenanigans. So that's my story with Cheers. Um, I watched it, and it stayed with me. It stayed, little parts of it stayed hidden in my brain. What's been amazing is I've gone back and I've watched the first three seasons now, because I've been enjoying your podcast so much. And there'll be moments where I'll go, what? Coach is going to say, but, but, and, he's, and he says it. It's like, yeah. I remember the next line. I know the next line is going to be, <laughs> even though I swear I've not watched these episodes more than twice. If I watched them in the summer rerun, that was it. So it's not a show that I you know, stuck with dramatically, but it stayed with me. Parts of it, again, a function of the fact that it's so well written is after all these 82, 92, 100, it's been 30 plus years since I've seen some of these episodes and mm-hmm. they still hold up. And I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Well, this one in particular definitely holds up. Uh, so let's get it right into it. And uh, you described some of the aspects of it already. Uh, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 19. The title again is Pick a Con, Any Con. Play on the Pick a Card, Any Card. This episode is written by David Angel, uh, directed again by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February 24th, 1983. Um, that is almost 36 years ago to the day that we're recording this. So, Sam and Diane are thrilled that Coach is spending time playing cards with an old friend named George. That is, until they discover George has been hustling Coach out of thousands of dollars over the last couple of months. Against his better judgment, Sam recruits notorious con man Harry the Hat to help them swindle George and get Coach's money back. Harry concocts a plan to lure George into a high-stakes poker game at Cheers after closing, so long as Sam is willing to bankroll Harry's buy-in. But George turns the tables on them by winning the game and taking everyone's money. Sam and Coach then discover that Harry lost deliberately, having plotted with George to double-cross Sam and split all the winnings between them. Coach pleads with George to play one more heads-up game against Harry. If George wins, he can keep all the money he took from Coach, but Sam and the others get theirs back. After Coach sees Harry's cards, he gives George the sign to go all in, but seems to screw it up when Harry's hand comes out on top. The infamous hat collects the winnings from George and the Cheers gang and leaves the bar gloating. George screams at Coach before storming off. But then, Coach breaks into a fit of laughter and reveals that he and Harry, who returns triumphant via his secret entrance in the pool room, (laughs) had planned the triple cross all along, and everyone at the bar gets their money back. All right, aside from the fact that this left a uh, lingering impression that you were able to remember the bar tricks and the bar bets from Harry, big picture, what did you think about this episode? Absolutely fantastic. It is so witty. The dialogue is snappy. Um, I mentioned uh, Damon Runyon earlier, the creator of what became Guys and Dolls. Harry is such a wonderfully Runyon-esque character. He's like a man out of time. Yeah. He's 
He's, he's, he's got that snappy pad. He even dresses, and we'll talk about this more later on. Like he's from the 30s or 40s. He's got a fedora and a hand painted tie and suspenders. And he knows all the lingo. He knows that uh, George is actually probably Eddie the Mole, who runs paper and cubes, you know, coolers and hop toads, <laughs> things like that. He also smokes, which is something really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. We don't I, see that you know, often. We don't see that often. Harry's a wonderful outside trickster character, and he's able to fool everybody. He's able to rope everybody in, including the audience. We get taken for it, too, you know? And the way that Coach is brought in, you don't even really need to know much about the primary character. This this would be an okay first episode to show somebody, actually, because you quickly catch on that Coach isn't all – Harry says, or as Eddie says, he'd be the last one anybody would think of being on something clever. Right. But to see that, but if you do know the show, to see that Coach's "quote unquote" dimness turned to his advantage—the idea that everybody thinks he's not that bright, mm-hmm. and that the signal he gives is supposedly a mistake, but it's not a mistake—and that he's working so closely with one of the cleverest people you'll ever meet, Harry, is just—I mean, this is an episode that turns in in on itself, and yet is still incredibly funny. Yeah, and. I mean, like I said, if this was the first episode you ever saw, you would buy that because Coach demonstrate his naivety a lot in the beginning. Like the way he like he doesn't realize this guy has been like he's been playing car he's been playing gin with this guy George every day for almost a year. Like they talked about <laughs> like since last February. Well, this episode came out in February, so they've been talking about like months, if not a whole year. And Sam's like, "How many times have you won?" And Coach is like, "Well, if I had to see." Um, None. None. <laughs> and it's like, really? Like, you, this never occurred to you? And then Coach has some, some great lines in the first one when when Sam first talks about, like, bringing in Harry to, like, you know, basically his plan is bring use a thief to catch a thief. And Diane, of course, makes this crazy illusion. She's like, that's like asking Spinoza to settle a debate between Nietzsche and Schopenhauer. And everybody's I, just kind of, like, looking at her. And, and Coach is like, she's got a point there. <laughs> like, I still no. don't know what that means. I actually tried to look it up <laughs> yeah. and hoping – Hoping I'd be able to provide some useful information, and I still don't know what it means. But no, it's, it's just like three stuff. completely incongruous ideas. But it's just, <laughs> but of course, coach is just like, yeah, she's got a point there. That, yeah, that, it's like, of course, he has no idea what she's talking about. But no, you're right. This is this is a wonderful episode. It's one of my favorites from the first season. Um, it's definitely like a strong one, and they, so much of it is in the writing because it's it's a genuinely funny episode. There's a lot of funny lines, but then there's also this whole set piece involving this card game and not just a double cross but a triple cross and all of these things the way it plays out yeah it is wonderful and it's a it's a great showcase for the character of harry the hat who at this point has been in two previous episodes um but just made very kind of brief appearance one he was just in the teaser one he kind of came in early and then showed up again at the end but like this is his his showcase and it would have been nice to to see him again a little bit more but of course the actor would later book the lead in night court and yeah, all the things that you said about him, like the, these weird things that seem like a man out of time, those I think are really just Harry Anderson, the actor. Like that's the, like he he started off as a his his comedic shtick when he was starting off was he was a, an expert in close up magic and he did all of these things, and the way he dressed, like with the fedora, he brought that to his character on Night Court, um, and you can see like his uh, big in Night Court, the big thing with uh, Judge Stone was that his favorite musician, favorite artist is Mel Torme. Mm-hmm. So totally like a, like a different style, a different genre, but also like a different era. You're thinking of this type of music. So I really think Harry is just – he was just born in like the wrong half yeah. of the 20th century. <laughs> Harry, 
um, Stone, Judge Stone, have like a giant picture of Jean Harlow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's also like an actress who hit her stride in the 30s or 40s. You're probably dead on. And when Harry finally does arrive, he has this wonderful set piece to introduce him yes. to you. Because yeah, you haven't seen those earlier episodes. All they say is, oh, Carla calls him that hustler. You always, or Dan calls him that hustler. He always having to throw out. But when he, sh- he shows up, he gets to do a three-minute bit where, you, first of all, Norm is like, Harry, here's a 10 bucks. I'm going to owe you. Just <laughs> I'm going to owe you in about five minutes, yeah. It's, it is wonderful. And Harry's just like, thanks. You know, he just takes it. And yep. then you just see him kind of making the eyes, and he zeroes in on Cliff. And, and Norm's like, don't show him fear. <laughs> and then all oh, this wonderful trick. And, and you're right. It's just like the perfect encapsulate, everything you need to know about the character. So, like, I mean, do you want to set up what the, what the con oh, is? Or? Sure. It's, it's one of the things I would have probably seen in, in my book, yeah, yeah, in, in the library. Book, yeah, yeah. Where uh, he so uh, Cliff's got a shot, mm-hmm. and Harry says, uh, puts his hat over it, and he says, um, "I bet you I can drink. I bet you I can drink that uh, drink there without without, 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 without touching the hat." Well, yeah, for a dime. Yeah, he's like, "I'll bet for, you a dime. For, that's, that's the point. I can for, drink for, this shot without touching the hat for, for, a, for a dime." He goes, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll bet a dime." And so Harry goes, puts his hat under the bar, and goes glug 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 glug, <laughs> and he comes up, ah, it was delicious. And Cliff goes, "Huh?" And Cliff lifts up the hat, and Harry swoops in and knocks back the shot. Having not touched the hat, but then of course it's doubled up because Cliff is like, "Well, anybody can do that. You know, it's just a simple trick." And, and Harry's like, "No, you couldn't do that." He's like, "Sure, I could." He's like, "Like, want to bet?" And they make the same bet—a dime, a dime, yeah, a dime. Yeah, sure, no problem. So, and then, but this time, Cliff dips his head underneath the bar and does the same thing—the glug, 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 glug. Except, what does Harry do when Cliff is not looking? He takes the drink uh, surreptitiously. He knocks it back and puts the hat back down. Right, right, right. So, so then Cliff gets up. They move the hat, and he sees that the drink is gone. He was expecting to mimic the same thing that Harry did, but now the drink is gone. And Harry's like, "Wow, that was an incredible trick. <laughs> that was worth a dime." And he gives him the dime back. And, and Cliff, of course, is like, "Well, you know, at least I made my money back." And Coach just puts his hand out. He's like, "You owe me five bucks for the booze, Cliff." Like, <laughs> so essentially, this whole thing, this whole Evercon was. It was Harry got Cliff to buy him two drinks, buy him yep. two shots. So, yeah, perfectly done. And the whole thing, like, the the way that Norm is reacting, because Norm is just sitting back and watching this whole thing. And you, you got to imagine, like, that was really George Went cracking up watching <laughs> this, because it's so well done. Yeah. Getting back to uh, earlier in the episode, the teaser feeds into Act 1, because we first see George and Coach playing cards with them. And Diane, Diane comes in. And she's like humming or something to herself. And Sam's like, what are, what are you in such a good mood for? And she says she was up all night finishing off Kierkegaard. Oh, my. And Sam <laughs> says, I hope he thanked you for it. <laughs> now, at first, like the, the studio audience doesn't react or anything like that. And at first, it's like, okay, implication. Sam thinks Kierkegaard is some guy at her house. And she, she was sleeping with the guy. But the phrasing of that, that she was finishing him off, I was like... That's pretty risque. That's one of the borderline dirtier jokes if you actually think about the way she, the way they're phrasing it. That she was up finishing off Kierkegaard. And he's like, I hope he thanks you for it. It's not particularly Diane. Um, right, right. Uh, you, you've had a, you had another guest on. It may have been your brother, actually, mm-hmm. who talked about um, how sort of uptight and indeed sort of puritanical Diane is. Sometimes um, in her style of uh, speech and definitely in her style of dress, and we'll talk about her dress more. But oh my God, you know, speaking of Puritans, dye that thing she's wearing black and give her a hat with a buckle. You can set it up for Thanksgiving. But yeah, I mean, that's in Diane out of Diane's mouth. It's perfectly phrased with us with us applying the Sam filter, if you will. It becomes a little raw, yeah. 
moving on, then we get to the revelation that George has been hustling coach and everybody kind of freaking out about it. Carla has this wonderful bit. I almost actually had this for like my funniest line of the episode. This was definitely a contender for a little bit, but she, they're like, what do we do now that we know about this? And Carla's like, we take him, we beat him up. We like take his clothes. We take his money, or whatever. We put him on a bus and ship him out of town or something. Like just, she has this very over the top, violent like thought about what to do with this guy. And they're like, you think that would work? And she's like, Hey, that's how I ended up in Boston. I believe it. <laughs> and it's, it's so good now. At this point in the character's history, you kind of think, that actually might very well be true. That seems oh, yeah. like it could be in keeping with her character. Now, later on in the show, they'll establish that Carla has more roots in Boston, and you're kind of like, I don't think she was sent here on the bottom. Like, her family grew up here. Um, so that that line is a little bit, doesn't kind of, like, mesh with the canon or the continuity. But it's still a really funny setup. And part of it is, like, the way Rhea Perlman delivers the line. Like, after she says, that's how I end up in Boston, she's just kind of, like, nodding her head. Like, this is kind of like a, a matter-of-fact, almost almost something to be proud of. Like, yeah. She has a, a certain casualness yeah. to her, especially in this episode. And later on, we do the whole Bloody Mary thing. Right. She's just leaning back, oh, stretched God. out across like three bar stools, oh. watching Diane do her thing. So, yeah. So that brings us to the next part. So after Sam agrees to recruit, to recruit here and th- speaking, oh. again, like, so he, he decides that he's like, where, how do we even find Harry? And like, Carla's like, I know where he is. He's in jail where he always is. So Sam goes, gets the phone, calls up information to find the number for the city jail and he turn, he looks at Coach he's like are you sure you're okay with me doing this? Coach is lying I love this he's like yeah go ahead I use information to get numbers all the time a wonderful wonderful that's another great thing about watching these kind of older shows mm. is that they are um, indexes to the, nobody knows what 411 oh, yeah, is yeah, anymore yeah. nobody knows what the yellow pages are calling information means I mean my girls know who are, Teenagers know the term 411 from the Lindsay Lohan remake of Parent Trap, where 411 <laughs> is slang for information. Like, I've got some 411 yep. for you. But yeah, nobody knows what this stuff is. Like, what is that smoking thing that Harry has in his hand? He seems to be putting his mouth. Nobody smokes anymore. Right. Nobody uses pay phones anymore. <laughs> so. Harry comes in the next day. He does his whole con on Cliff to get the free drinks. Then he goes, they, uh, Sam and Coach pull him aside to basically tell him what's going on. He'll end up making his pitch to lure them into a card game. Um, while he's doing that, Car- Sam's like, Carla, you take over the bar, and Diane throws a fit because she never gets a chance. So he's like, fine. Diane has the bar, and she's like, okay. She's uh, like having the, she's like taking this as a point of pride that she's going to be the bartender now. And Carla asks her to make a Bloody Mary, and Diane has no idea how to do that. So we get this <laughs> running gag of Diane trying to make a Bloody Mary, and it's taking her the length of like eight minutes while this other scene is going on. It's crazy. Yeah. And as you were saying, like she's like, it, you know, exact measurements are very important, Sam. And Carla's like, so is ordering, getting the drink the day you ordered it. <laughs> she's all stretched out <laughs> there. And Diane's, like, Diane's reading from the bartender's guide. Let's see here. First, the history of the Bloody <laughs> yes, Mary. Often called the hair of the dog that bit you. Like, the perfect thing for brunches or lunches. Let's see here. And Diane's just like, make the stuff I drink. And it's the best, like, when she finally, like, when Sam is done talking to Harry, when he goes back, and she's got, like, all of these different, like, concussions laid out on the bar. She's like, there are a lot of ingredients in the Bloody Mary. He's like, yeah, that's why we make five gallons of it every morning and put it in the fridge or and put it in the fridge. It's like, what are you doing? He's like, Carla, why are you letting her do this? And oh, it's Carla's, my second favorite line. It's my yeah, second favorite yes. line. Yeah, I well, wanted to see her try to make vodka. I love that so much. It's such a good, and just her deadpan, like, she's got her chin on the bar. She's, like, almost half asleep. She's like, I wanted to see her make vodka. <laughs> it's so good. 
And while that's going on, um, Sam and Harry and uh, Coach are talking about all of the about what's really going on. <clears throat> Harry thought, oh, that's George. Yeah, he sounds like Eddie. Sometimes they call him the mole. Except, of course, in Philly. In Philly, they call him Sid. He goes, Sid? He goes, yeah. Philly's a dull town. <laughs> Philly's a dull town. I love it. Yeah, that's actually my favorite line. Yeah. I don't know why. It's like, On paper, it's amusing. But the way it's just dead, yeah, Philly's a dull town. Yeah, he has like almost like a shrug. He's like, I know. I think it's kind of a dumb name, too. But what do you expect from them? Yeah, it's such a good, good little joke. Yeah, they're like, Eddie the Mole, he's like from out in like Phoenix. Because he, he, yeah. he brings that up later on, the Arizona thing, for one of my favorite lines. Um, but yeah, so they, they bring him in and then that night they have, after closing, they have their, uh, their poker game. And we haven't mentioned the character of George. I don't think they ever actually say his last name. He, in the credits, he's listed as George Wheeler. He's played by an actor, Reed Shelton, starred in a ton of 80s TV shows, um, and, and into the 90s too. Um, he was probably his longest tenured show was a show that I have really no familiarity. I've heard of it, um, but I'd never watched it. It was called First and Ten. Um, it was a, a basically a, a comedy about a fictional Los Angeles football team, uh, and the one notable thing about it is the show also co-starred O.J. Simpson. Oh wow! Um, yeah, but he also he would appear on episodes of St. Elsewhere, Knight Rider, Three's Company, Remington Steel, Family Ties, a lot of shows like that. But yeah, he's he's very good, and and when he can be, he can be menacing in this episode. You definitely get that he's a credible threat. Like mm-hmm. when they catch him, that he's been conning them, work, working with Harry, and he's like, "If you touch me or whatever," he's like, "I'll tell the cops about this, you know, poker illegal poker game. You could use your or you could lose your Ooh, liquor license. Liquor license. Yeah, but, you know, that's a thing again from a lot of seventies and eighties shows. Mm-hmm. Is the threat of. Um, the license. If it's a bar, of course, gambling is illegal. You could, they find out, cops find out, they could pull your liquor license. We also saw this a lot in uh, cop PI shows. Mm-hmm. Rock, Rockford, always the threat. You're going to lose your PI license. Right. You know? <laughs> right. so, yeah, uh, actually, there's a there's a later season episode. It's like episode like 10 or 11 or whatever. It's definitely one of the Rebecca years. It's one of the later season that's all about like the liquor license has expired and they like they need to – like Rebecca can't serve alcohol like to the bar, but she can't let Sam find out that she screwed it up or something like that. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that whole idea of the, the, the liquor license. But um, yeah, then like again, like the – the last, the last, the way it plays out, you know, you get the the card game and Harry loses, and then you find out that he was losing on purpose because he's working. And then they kind of turn it so that Harry now becomes the villain. He's the one that you're rooting against. You really think that he's been the one suckering them after they brought him into their confidence, and now like he betrayed their trust this way. So they actually get George to come in on their side, and, and Coach is like pleading with him. He's like, "I don't care about the money you took from me. You can keep that, but please let my friends get their money back." And then, of course, it's just like the cons turning on each other, which you can kind of count on their their own selfishness. That that, that I plays love, in their favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the coach gives the sign. I love um, they're like what sign you give? I love my notes. The old bunt sign. <laughs> I love any time we find out something about coach's past, yeah. even if it's something that simple, like the girls who used to hang out. Um, the groupies mm-hmm. used to hang out at the at the, the baseball Rosie stadium. McGonagall. <laughs> the Rosie McGonagall. Rosie She's still there. Say yeah. hi for me. Yeah. And, just, and um, coach plays it so natural. It's like yes, that is exactly the the signal coach used to give. That's exactly the way he used to do it. Right. Everything is so natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, when when we finally get to, uh, George and Harry kind of going head to head, and like when they agree that they're gonna play each other for for all the winnings, one one of my like funniest bits uh, or that I had like for my home run is when. Um, 
Harry, Harry, like coaches, like I, you know, I was never liked working with a partner or something like that. So let's just cut the chase. And Harry's like, you know, Sid or you know, Mole. I never like. I was never too impressed with Arizona hustlers, except they got good sinuses. <laughs> that joke, dry is, heat. That, yeah, that joke in itself kills me. <laughs> but Diane's reaction, she gives this genuine laugh, like chuckle or whatever, that they have to like because everybody else they're so pissed at the situation that they just look at her and she she has to shut herself up. Like she has to. Like, like bite down on a napkin to keep quiet because yep. it's just like he's like I never liked Arizona hustlers except they got good sinuses and Diane's just ah just like this chuckle <laughs> I love that so much so um and then yeah yeah the coach's sign like where he he rubs his nose or whatever and then of course obviously you think he's screwing it up because he's like oh George did you see that he's like yeah he's like I I rubbed my nose because it was itchy and it's like I, it was I really itchy it was really itchy and he's like that's why you that's why you rubbed your nose I understand and Harry's like what are you guys doing so you think and then when Harry seems to be the the winner you think George, or coach screwed it up and George loses it he's like you're a stupid old man who deserves to lose his money and like like the way Harry is like running out of there collecting his winnings grabbing his jacket Sam is yelling at him you you think that they've all been taken for a ride and that like Harry was just a terrible guy who betrayed their trust and then and then he reverses it he comes back through because and this was something that like if you have been watching it it does kind of play off because in one of his earlier appearances he was in the pool room and and Sam's like Harry how did you get in here and he's like I came in through the back door and Sam's like I don't have a back door he's like well then it's my secret yep <laughs> and actually that was in the other episode you were talking about I think that was in the boys in the bar that was, was it? The oh great yeah that was the the opening teaser for the boys in the bar when we saw him that time um so yeah, so Harry comes back and he's like, "There's one born every minute, huh, Coach?" And everybody freaks out and he wins and everything. And it's it's really really good. So yeah, it's it's an episode that ends on a high note. Everybody's happy. Everybody got everybody wins. So it's just it's one of those episodes that's funny. It's intriguing. You kind of have to pay attention to what's going on, and it also ends with everybody happy and everybody winning. So that's cool. I want to talk about that ending because mm-hmm. if you go back and listen, you will hear. The audience, not just applauding, they are cheering when Harry comes in mm-hmm. and you realize they've all, he's been in on it. And it's not just cheering because, yay, your friends win, they get their money back. <clears throat> I think they're cheering because it's, they're relieved, yay, we still get to like Harry. Yeah, yeah. Because and what have we seen? We know that he's a hustler. Mm-hmm. We've seen him previously just cheating people. And what's really important, especially in the first season of Cheers, is that happy endings are not guaranteed. Um, Norm loses his job. Yeah. He does not get it back. If this was any other sitcom, he'd get his, ep- his job back the next episode. He does. He spends most of this season and the second season trying to get a job. Sam, when he breaks up with his agent, had one commercial, and that was the end of Resurgent TV. episode very easily could have ended with, Harry, get out of here. I never want to see your face again. Don't worry, Malone. You won't. And then – grand but at least we never have to see harry's face again and then maybe coach could say well twenty thousand and ten, because harry skipped out on tonight's tab <laughs> I mean, that could have been the ending but the relief you hear from the audience cheering it's like, oh thank god we love harry he's nice you know as he says earlier these are my pigeons i don't like anybody else fucking my pigeons. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's okay if harry pulls a few small scams right this is his turf nobody else it's, yeah nobody hits my turf. little brother but me nobody paid yeah him. yeah yeah no I, I definitely think you're right because Harry, yeah, of course he's he's playing jokes on them, but he's the character you want to root for him because he's funny, he's entertaining. You want to like him, and you don't want him to, you want him to 
swindle them out of a free drink here or there or a free like a free bar tab or something like that but you don't want him to ruin their livelihood and take them for you know tens of thousands of dollars that's you know that could end the bar and um so harry harry plays it really well i gotta say harry anderson is a great actor Mm -hmm. and in this episode he goes from um you know, being Harry the Hat, the con that we see at the beginning of the episode, to when he's sort of brought into the game at the beginning, he's like, Harry, it's a free seat here. You want to play? He's got this kind of aw, <laughs> shucks. There's, an, there's a Bugs Bunny ghost bunny where Bugs plays like a rube from the country in San Francisco. And he goes up against, I think it's Nasty Canasta. And Harry's aw, shucks sort of innocence reminds me of that at first. And then as the game goes on and he's smoking and he's drinking, you really see him playing the nervous mm-hmm. loser really well. Of course, it's all part of the long con. Yeah, even like when they bring him, they invite him, like, hey, we got an extra seat. Do you want to play? He's like, well, I've heard poker can be an interesting diversion. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Oh, like, yeah, played this game before. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, oh gosh, yeah, yeah, it's so, it's so good. And then at the end, of course, Diane is like, why didn't you let any of us, <laughs> any of us, you know, he's like, I didn't think you were smart enough to pull it off. So yeah. nice that he, he actually confided in coach of all people to of be, people. to be the one to hold his secret. But yeah. Do we want to talk about Harry's clothes and Diane's clothes now? We should, because another one of my favorite lines, when <laughs> Harry goes, Harry pulls up his, his pant leg to go into his like secret stash of money or whatever like that, and Diane's like, oh, I like those socks. He's yeah, he's wearing an Argyle sweater. He's got, I, I myself have also worn an Argyle sweater for many years. He's oh, got yeah, Argyle yeah. socks, and those Argyle socks are held up by garters. Yes. That so- is, I'm talking about a man out of time. Um that's like something – for those of you who don't know, imagine a quote-unquote sexy garter belt holding up stockings. Well, imagine a miniature one on each leg. This was before socks had elastic and could stay up by themselves. Yeah. I, I Gosh, I think the only time I've ever seen those like in like in practical use would be like in gangster movies if like somebody has like a switchblade hidden in their sock that way or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the kind of thing that you'd think that Harry would have it for. <laughs> yeah, good point. He keeps his role. That's, that's yeah. his, his equivalent of a switchblade. Yeah. But it's Diane's dress that blows my mind because it is not 80s chic, which is, again, really interesting because there are episodes where both Sam and Diane are so preppy, so preppily dressed. There's one where she's wearing this fair aisle swap. Sam is wearing a shell called Heather full. It's like the cover of the 1984 Bean. But the thing she's wearing, uh, Ryan, do you know what a Gibson girl is? Do you know that term? I, unless you're talking about Gibson guitars, no. No. So at the turn of the last century, late 1890s, early 1910s, Charles Dana Gibson, the illustrator, created this, not a pinup because they're fully dressed, but this style of woman that was very chic and everywhere. And they ha- wore their hair up in a, sort of a pompadour, big pompadour. And you can actually see they tried to do that with Diane's hair in this one, although she doesn't really have enough of it. But it's the clothes. These giant, they're called mutton chop sleeves where they're big and puffy at the shoulder and they tighten down to the wrist and all i can think of is folks at home google gibson girl i have done it me, i've just done it and yeah i can see it yeah <laughs> that's what she's wearing and it's not retro chic for the 80s it's not like she's wearing like a drindle or something with, with a hip in the 70s it's not preppy for the 80s i mean the only thing i can think of is that after work she's going to go cosplay at an elizabeth <laughs> browning convention or something <laughs> I can I can just hear the radio ad. Hi, I'm Diane Chambers, and I'll see you at LizzieCon 83 this weekend at Feniel Hall. 
you know what? Why is she dressed? She that that seems like something Diane would love to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's strangest in the strangest wears. Other stuff she wears is her hip or you know slightly or slightly you know puritanical conservative. This is literally clothes out of the eighteen hundreds. Well, and I think it's it's just another. It's a visual shortcut of showing us what we know about the character, which is that she doesn't fit in there. She is mm. uh, she is the odd woman out in this case. Like it, it's a it's not quite a sports bar, but it's close to a sports bar. And she is, she's an a uh, you know liberal academic elitist. She has nothing in common with these people. So I think showing her not dressing like in like typical eighties chic, not wearing rugby shirts or or even flannels all that often like Carla <laughs> might wear or something like that. She doesn't. She she dresses like a woman from old money who expects to marry into old money and kind of like that that whole whole thing. Yeah, she's just she's she doesn't fit in. She doesn't so her clothing I think works to that effect. Very old if it's about a hundred years. Yeah well, yeah yeah. <laughs> Behind the times. And then we end with the uh, the second framing bit of uh, Sam and Diane with playing on the term feeling lucky because uh, Sam offers Diana a special bet. He says, uh, about this? Simple guard game, simple draw, high card. Uh, <laughs> if I win, I get to go to bed with you. She says, oh, but if I win, you get to go to bed with me. <laughs> because as you mentioned it, you start off with Sam and Diane flirting with each other, then you go into whatever the plot is, and then you end with Sam and Diane flirting with each other again. Yeah, so just nice. remind you it's episode Cheers. Um, in terms of uh, just a few little trivia things before we wrap up, uh, did you notice if this episode was lacking anything in particular? Like if there was something missing from this episode? No. Ooh, I didn't. What is it? <laughs> so I, I would have to go back and, and, and check, but I think this might be the first episode that does not feature a Norm entrance beat. Like, we don't get him walking in in the bar saying Norm or oh. something like that, and we don't get his sort of, like, entry joke. He's not at the bar in, like, the teaser, the first scene, like, in the first act. Like, when we come back, the first time we see him is when Harry shows up and Norm is already sitting there, and he's already like got his beer like half drunk and everything like that. So we don't actually get a Norm entrance moment in this episode. This might be the first time in the series. Well, I was gonna say, is that absolutely established as a pattern by by now? By now, absolutely, yeah. It's uh-huh. been, it's a pretty well established. I think it's been in every episode. Maybe I could be wrong. It's it's not a lot that it doesn't happen in, and like throughout the length of the entire show, it doesn't happen that often. So I think this is the first time when we don't get the Norm entrance. This is one of those cases where I'd really like to know when this episode was written. I mean, the fact that it's it's got only the Sam and Diane bookends and it's really a, a short story episode in the middle. I mean, I can't help but wonder if it was written earlier in the season before a lot of the patterns were established or not. I it, it very well could have been. I mean, again, like I think part of the telltale things is the episode aired at the end of February when Coach is talking about how long he's been playing cards with uh, George. He says, you know, this is just stretched out since last February. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say a year, but that would make it a year. So maybe this was, you know, one of the first ten episodes that was written and was just held off for some reason. Or like they expected it to be to air earlier in the life. I don't know. But that's a really that's a really good point. That line has always sort of bothered me. Also, just really briefly, do you think that um, Coach switches over? It was a little too fast to realizing he's being taken. It's like, no, George and I are pals. We're pals. He goes, Coach, Sam says, like, Coach, this guy's in you. He goes, oh, really? Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, 
Maybe, like, I, I don't know if he needed more convincing, although I don't think it takes a whole lot to convince a coach <laughs> of something, so um, per- perhaps just in the with the absence of evidence to the contrary, he was like, oh, yeah, sure. So um, One other little trivia bit, another, it's a little known fact, uh, this was the first episode written by David Angel, uh, he would eventually write 17 episodes of the show, after all, he became one of the major writers on Wings and then Frasier uh, after this show, so... Yep. That makes me think that the Spinoza, Nietzsche, and Schopenhauer joke probably does work because he tended to write really intelligent stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like just randomly pulling. I mean, basically, when I watch Frasier and there's a, an academic joke, I can use – if I get it, it's like that's absolutely right. They're dead on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think they actually did their research. Yeah. Uh, OK. So let's get into some of our superlatives at the end. Uh, for Norm's tab, and I gotta say, I'm being generous here, but I'm giving him credit for three beers. And I'm being generous because we don't actually see him drink anything in this episode. Um, but when Harry first walks in, Norm has a beer in front of him, uh, that's just sitting there on the counter. And then when we cut to the night of the poker game, there's an empty beer, like, right at Norm's seat at a counter. But Norm doesn't start off the scene sitting there, he's actually bringing the um the tablecloth or the felt for the the poker table to like set it up so he's not right there but there is an empty beer at norm's established seat so i'm gonna give him credit for that one and then during the poker game when we cut to like in in the middle like one of the last hands he's got a half empty glass there so i'm sure you know throughout the life of that whole poker game i'm sure he was chugging them back but we only see him with three glasses in front of him at the time. So, again, we never actually see him drinking or ordering anything in this episode, but I'm going to give him credit for those three, uh, which brings him to 89 beers for the series so far. (laughs) Wow. I need some pretzels. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so getting into the last two. First, our employee of the week. Uh, Who did you think gave the best performance? Could be comedic, could be dramatic, whatever. Um, And it could be one of the obvious Cheers employees, or it could be a guest star. Who did you think stole the show in this episode? It's really tough for me because, on the other hand, Harry comes in and he really runs the gamut as, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, tough guy, con man to a serious loser. He's smoking and drinking nervously. But I got to give it to Coach. Yeah, <laughs> everything depends on Coach's performance and the way you interpret what he's doing and how you believe that he's making a mistake. Because it's Coach; he's he's dim-witted. He's, he took too many uh, fly balls to the head. <laughs> it, it, the way um, Coach turns from being you know sort of silly to like being really serious with Eddie. It's like, hey, I don't care. You can keep my money. I was stupid. You can keep it. I need to give you my give my friends their money back. Every penny, he says. He's coach is so serious and dramatic. And then when it all falls apart and you think everybody everything is lost and coach has got his head in his hands. At first, he's crying. Oh God, coach has snapped. I mean, coach really runs the gamut of emotions. I, I got to give it to coach, and he pulls it off. He pulls off one of the most complex triple crosses you'll ever see. Yeah. Yeah, I had both of those down for the exact same reasons. I think I'll pick Harry just to split the difference. <laughs> so okay. we're covering both our bases. But yeah, um, the way the way Harry does it and the way the audience like cheers for him at the end, like they're so relieved that he's redeemed mm-hmm. by the end of it and that sort of victory lap that he can take at the end. Um, it's just so good. And yeah, he, this is a showcase for him in this episode. So, Oh, um, oh a, a small side element. So 
I don't know if this was that big a deal. Towards the end there, when Harry, everybody thinks Harry's been found out, and he tries to make a run for it before they make the, the second deal with George. Um, Harry tries to make a dash, and it's Cliff who kicks a chair <laughs> from the bar right into Harry's way, blocking him. Yeah. It's like, that's a really macho, bold move <laughs> for Cliff to make. And I'm always impressed by that. I was like, whoa. Especially Cliff, who only a few minutes earlier tried to fit U.S. postage stamps, commemorative <laughs> right. postage stamps, to cover his bet because he didn't have enough money. Yeah, like this, yeah, these sheets of commemorative stamps. It's actually um, a federal offense, I think. <laughs> Yeah. So okay. So yeah, it, it's definitely. I mean, there. I mean, and and yeah. I mean, everybody has. Everybody gets a good chance, to, like to to shine in this one because Carla has those great moments. Um, but I think it's it's easily it's Harry and Coach that, that run this one for for both different and similar reasons. Um, bringing us to uh, the home run or the the funniest gag. Now, sometimes, like in the past, I have sometimes. Uh, given an exception for this thing to not necessarily be the funniest gag, but the most powerful or uplifting moment. And I, I would think similar to with episode 10 when Sam doesn't drink the beer, when Sam pushes the beer and he does his bar slide and the crowd, the, the studio audience like cheers for him because that's his moment of triumph. I have a similar moment for that, like when Harry comes back from the pool yeah. room. And that like moment of holy, this was like they they were conning all of us the whole time. That is like a really great moment, not necessarily a comedic moment, but it has that sort of impact of that's an episode highlight. So, and I, then I've got a few others besides that. But what did you think? Uh, that that moment actually has the same impact for me as in Star Wars when they're making the run on the the, the Death Star, and like out of nowhere, one of the Tie Fighters behind Luke gets blown up. Everybody's like, "What? Where'd that come from?" And you cut to. Harrison Ford, yeah, yeah, coming out, coming out of nowhere and saving the day. Harry saves the day. Uh, my favorite line is "Philly's a dull town," <laughs> yeah, which so just cool. cracks me up. I mean, I'm, it's, is it is it uh, Harry Anderson's dry delivery? Is it just the integration into the rest of the situation? It's like Philly's a dull town. It just cracks me up every single time. My favorite. I mean, we've mentioned so many lines that I love about this one, but my favorite comedy moment in this this exchange and again it's it's a line that's delivered like perfectly flat but it's when sam first thinks about bringing hat bringing in harry he goes i just had the worst idea i ever had and carla's like worse than hiring her and she motions to diane without missing a beat without even looking at them harry like sam is just looking off and he just corrects himself i just had the second worst idea <laughs> i ever had and he talks about harry but it's just like that correction he's like the worst idea and and Carla's like, "You sure it's worse than hiring her?" And he doesn't even look at them. He just he just repeats the line with a little bit of emphasis on that extra word. I just had the second worst idea I ever had. That oh, was, I love Ted, it. Ted Danson is so good, and you know, I, I at least I was I copped it. I didn't give him that much credit first time around, mm-hmm. but especially now that I'm watching him in things like um, The Good Place, where he's become you know the Spencer Tracy of comedy. He's become the elder statesman of comedy. It's, it's so perfectly timed so perfectly dry and you can see the starts of that in these early episodes of matter of fact i had that down as my second favorite line the mm-hmm. second worst idea i've ever had i'm glad you caught it too it's just a perfect delivery yeah yeah I, it's as i've been going through these i mean it's as i've been going through this season i mean it's pretty obvious that shelly long she was just a, a really amazing caliber of actress 
uh, and she shines in every episode, what she could do dramatically, what she could do comedically. It's amazing. And everybody else, like particularly like Coach and, and Carla, like they have their little avenues where they shine and they, they have the, these little things where they can really kind of steal a moment. Ted Danson is the one that creeps up on you. Like you, he, he's not flashy at all. Like early on, you don't realize how good of a performer he is, both dramatically and comedically. Uh, he, it's, it's hard to notice him, but once you do notice it, you're like, my God, this guy is good. Yeah, it's, it's a testament, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I think the show endears. It's not just the writing, but it is the performers and, and everything that they brought to the table, so. Indeed. Yeah. Well, again, Kevin, thank you very much. I'm so glad. Like when when you requested this episode, I was just glad that somebody really had a passion for this episode because it is one of the strongest episodes in the first season, if not the entire show. Uh, it's just it's funny. It's complicated. It's just it's relieving. Um, it's just it's a great example of a Cheers show. So, thank you again. Uh, where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you or read more about you? What else? Where can we find you? Um, if uh, you can always go to my website, which is kevinlauderdale.livejournal.com. Yes, I know I'm still I'm still there. It's, at least it's not like geocities.com/slash/boston. But um, and you can also find me on another network, um, the Chronic Rift Network, where I host uh, twice a month a uh, podcast called Presenting the Transcription Feature, where I bring in old time radio shows, uh, usually a comedy and a drama. And what I do is at the very beginning I provide just a little bit of annotation to them so that when somebody makes an Alf Landon running for office joke, you'll know what the joke is and you'll, you'll be able to laugh along. Cause I find that the comedies are very timely and very tightly tuned to pop culture and pop events. Uh, the drama is not so much. So if you like old time radio, tune into the chronic rift, subscribe to presenting the transcription feature. Great. Great. That's awesome. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for being on this episode of the show. It was great. To thank talk you for to you. having me. Thank you for having me. I've, I've been on several shows and, when you first announced this one, I was like, cheers. Yeah, sure. I'll go back. I'll check it out. And I've been listening to every single episode. I've been making sure that I go and I watch the episodes beforehand. And this is just a wonderful – I'm rediscovering this show. Thank and you that's, so much. That's what, I hope, that's what I hope every listener does. I hope they're going back and they're watching it along because it's so much fun. It's great. I, I, I like to think that makes it worthy of my time working on this project. So – uh, thank you for being on this episode. Listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. Please support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Please feel free to leave an iTunes review if you can. And, um, yeah, it's we are coming close to the end of Season 1. But until next time, we're closed. Okay, good night, everybody. George, you need a ride downtown? I'm afraid they're on to us, Harry. On to what? They figured out our little prank. Oh, well, that's all right. Come on, Sam. Times are hard, you know? A guy's got to do what he can. Harry, I was never much of a team player. Especially with Boston small timers. Why don't you and me play a little one on one for the whole jackpot? You know, Mo, I was never too impressed by Arizona hustlers, except they got good sinuses. <laughs> <laughs>